Let's begin with this idea, right, that everything is interesting, 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 interesting. Everything is interesting. We're going to take everyday topics and bring new light to the subject of science, 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 science. Holy, what are our bodies made of? Well, a bunch of different molecules. So to put this in perspective, Kira and Kira. Hello again. Hello. Everything is interesting. There's so much information out there. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Portland's favorite science show, Everything is Interesting. I, for one, am a very excited Kira today because Kira is back in studio with us. Welcome back, Kira. Hi, it's so good to be here. It's uh, really good to be here in person. And if you tuned in last week, we tried to ask uh, some of great questions about snow and ice, uh, which were submitted by our listeners. And thank you so much to everyone who sent us a question. We had a ton of fun. And at the end of last week's show, there was still one question left unanswered, and we wanted to just very quickly tackle it. The question was, why does hot food smell so good as the odors waft out windows on a cold, crisp winter's day? So Jefferson, you've had a week to think about this. What conclusion did you come to? To attract a mate. The food's mate? Like like so that hamburger can make tiny baby hamburgers? Isn't that why things are attractive? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that why? I, I, I will say because, okay, here, I got another one. I got another one. One is because the Franz Bakery wants it to smell real good, so you want to eat Franz bread. The other possibility that occurs to me is because in when it's cold, when it's, here, I, I'm just going to cut this fake science. This is the kind of science that would get you published like 700 years ago, okay? But like it doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to say it. It's when it's cold, your, your nose is particularly uh, attuned to food because food is harder to find. So we are, we are biologically predisposed to be hypersensitive to something that might be yummy when it's really cold because otherwise we'll die in winter if we're not paying attention to the slightest, slightest bit of Fran's bread hidden under the ice. Right, right. Like your, your survival instincts are super yeah. Tuned and so that mm-hmm. mac and cheese just oh yes. man, and I said, you that's, gotta it, have it. I am the mate that that mac and cheese is trying to attract. <laughs> you and mac and cheese <laughs> going to the homecoming dance Sitting in a tree. Uh, well, I, that's probably definitely got something to do with it. But um, the short answer that we came up with is that it comes down to your perception of the smells. So in the winter, odor molecules actually become less potent, and there are less of them around to smell. So also the sensors that are in your nose that pick up odors become less sensitive in the cold. And so your sense of smell is kind of dulled, I guess. Yeah, so you pick up on the really strong things like the mac and cheese. Uh, We don't have time to go into all the cool science behind it today. But in case you're interested in the long answer, you can head to our website, which is everythingisinteresting.org. And we went ahead and posted a more in-depth explanation of odors, temperature, and the nose. So, all right, now on to today's topic. We're going to steer away from talking about the freezing cold because I think we're all done with the ice and the snow. Oh my God, yes. And let's move on to something warmer. A lot warmer, in fact. Today we're going to talk about the incredible power of the sun. Ta-da! And how we clever humans have devised the technology to harness it. For mostly being recognized as, you know, like that small glowing ball that moves slowly across the sky, bringing us light and heat and, you know, helping us keep the time, the sun is actually kind of underrated. It's really a beast of a celestial body and has been constantly generating this enormously staggering amount of energy for, oh, what, like the last 4.5 billion years or so? Yeah, which is old. How old is our universe? Like 13 billion years, I think. Anyway, something like that. Yeah, so the sun is really hot. At its core, it's around 27 degrees Fahrenheit. 27 degrees? No, I'm sorry. I'm at 27 million degrees. (laughs) (laughs) Big difference. Okay, so that super hot core temperature plus enormous gravitational pressure that's generated due to the, you know, giant size of the sun allows the sun to undergo and sustain a little something called thermonuclear fusion. 
So we want to clarify the difference between fusion and fission. Fission is what nuclear power plants use. Why? Because fusion takes so much energy to make it happen. That's part of the reason. Uh, nuclear power plants generate energy by splitting a large, heavy atom into two lighter atoms, releasing energy in the process. And this is fission. Nuclear fusion is the opposite. Two light atoms are fused together under extreme temperature and pressure to create a singular heavier atom. And this also releases energy, but in considerably larger amounts than during nuclear fission. So haven't we been trying to develop ways to harness the power of thermonuclear fission, fusion for years since it's uh, so much more powerful? Yeah, we have. And it's, it's also much cleaner than fission. Um, it turns out that larger molecules, when you break them apart, they can break apart in many different ways that are kind of unpredictable. And um, so when you're splitting a large atom during fission, the types of particles released vary considerably. And many of the particles... Uh, can be extremely radioactive. So like, you know, Chernobyl, anybody? So while a nuclear... No, thanks. No, no thanks. <laughs> today. I'll pass. Would Although it's apparently Chernobyl? really no. beautiful there now. However, if you think of it, tell me how to go back in time. That would be great. Yeah. yeah. It's, I wish it were nuclear <laughs> fusion, but I don't I don't think it is. It would Nuclear fusion, while you may not travel in time using it, it would be an amazing source of energy though, right? Because it, it's clean and it produces a ton of energy. Unfortunately, we have yet to find a way to sort of sufficiently control the fusion process, and all the research to developing nuclear fusion plants is still in the experimental phase. Additionally, here on Earth, where the gravitational pressure is way, way, way less intense than in the center of the sun, you would need an environment of roughly 180 million degrees Fahrenheit, which is six times that of the sun's core, before you could even get nuclear fusion to occur. But lucky for us, the sun has been doing nuclear fusion for like a long time. Thanks, son. Yeah, it has. And so who needs to wait for us to invent a nuclear fusion plant when we've got one sitting in the center of our solar system? Uh, the energy produced by fusion that's happening at the sun's core travels across space to Earth as uh, heat in the form of infrared waves and light in the form of photons. And that heat and light is what produces energy for every plant, every animal, and every bacteria on our planet. You guys might know this, but plants and other plant-like organisms such as algae, they have this ability to directly convert all this energy that's radiating out from the sun straight into their main food source, which is sugar. This is photosynthesis in action, people. It's so cool. And for us mammalian creatures, a handy byproduct of a plant's chemical conversion of sunlight to food is that to do it, they also have to consume a heck of a lot of carbon dioxide from the air, and then they end up releasing oxygen back into the air. Thanks for mitigating climate change and allowing us to breathe plants. <laughs> when I was a kid, I thought the word in, I thought it was infrared and not infrared. <laughs> it looks like infrared. I always sure. when I was reading like as a science fiction reading nerd as a small child, I really thought it was infrared. Sorry, infrared. In, it's a pastry from not France, to be actually. conferred with inferred radiation. So as you know, the sugars that plants produce are what provide energy for all the animals in the food chain, including us humans. Furthermore, when these plants die and they get buried underground and then they experience millions of years of heat and pressure in the colification process, then you get fossil fuels. Have you heard colification? of colification? What is colification? Is, right. is that, I thought that, I thought that, someone that would that's say a something. fake word. Doesn't it that sound seems weird? like an alternative, that's a Sean Spicer alternative word. <laughs> no, 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 there's no Orwelling lingo going on here, not this time. This is real. Colification is is a process. So I mean, really the point is that whether you're a plant going through photosynthesis, a power plant burning coal, or a human just eating your baby hamburgers that you probably just made with your mac and cheese, the uh, vast majority of the energy sources that we use originated as sun energy. All right. So fossil fuels are stored sun energy. 
Yep. Uh, but fossil fuels also are problematic, yeah? They aren't a sustainable source, not a clean source. They emit carbon dioxide, which is the big culprit behind global climate change. And even if CO2 weren't such a big problem, uh, aren't coal and, and oil finite? I mean, we could do fracking, but you guys just said it takes hundreds of millions of years for all the dead stuff to go through coalification. So the question that I'm getting at, do we just keep using coal or should we just, why don't we just use the sun's energy directly bypass the whole millions of years process of harvesting super ancient dead plants and algae, burning it and, you know, spoiling stuff. <laughs> well, Jefferson, it sounds like you're talking about solar power. Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> Renewable energy. <laughs> Infrared. 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 <laughs> so, I know we have the uh, the technology to harness the sun's energy. Uh, I see solar panels all over the place on rooftops right here in the city. How do they work? Uh, how uh, do we have the technology to use solar on a massive scale? Photosynthesis. Photosynthesis. <laughs> I wish we could just do photosynthesis. Wouldn't yeah. that be cool, guys? I'll just grow some leaves. But ooh, mm-hmm. you're going to look so good. Okay, good <laughs> questions. Good questions, both of them. So let's start by talking about how a solar panel actually converts the energy of the sun into electricity. To do that, we have to first delve a little bit deeper into what a sol- solar panel is actually made up of, which are photovoltaic solar cells. That's such a hard word photovoltaic Photo- yeah, that's I like know. a toy boat toy Photo- boat it's a good, it's a good way to practice <laughs> Photo- Photo- I, think, I think liam should turn on the microphone before today because before we started the show i was doing toy boat toy boat toy boat toy boat <laughs> red leather yellow leather red leather yellow leather <laughs> <laughs> Peter Piper, pick a pick a pick a peppers. Molecule. I'm trying to get better at that water stuff. We, we're going to stand in the hallway. This is what we used to do before improv shows. We would all stand around and hold hands, and we would say red leather, yellow leather. Except for here, we we stand around and hold hands and say photovoltaic. Photovoltaic. <laughs> <laughs> photovoltaic is the fancy word for something that directly converts light into electricity at the atomic level. This technology has been around since the 1960s when it was first used by NASA. Materials used in photovoltaics exhibit a property called photoelectric effect, which basically means that they absorb photons of light and then they also release electrons. And that flow of electrons is what's known as electricity. So inside of a solar cell, there's a, a thin wafer of semiconductive material, like uh, most commonly used as silicon. is It's treated to form an electric field, which basically means that it becomes positively charged on one side and negatively charged on the other side. And then when the energy from sunlight hits this wafer, the photons from the sunlight knock loose electrons from the silicon atoms, which generate the flow needed for electricity. So in the solar panel, electrical conductors are attached to the positive and negative sides of the silicon wafer, and that creates an electrical circuit, which the now free electrons can flow into and form an electrical current. And we can use that electrical current to power our microwave ovens and our computers. So that's neat. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, solar power just makes sense to me. Uh, the sun is there. It's powerful. It's power of powering all of life on Earth. Yes, it is. Let's use it to power our Elimin- stuff. Eliminate the middleman. Eliminate yeah. the middleman. If, if you had an Amway salesman, if you had somebody from Betsy DeVos's family going through this, they, they wouldn't do all this like sustainability stuff. They would just be giving you, they would give you a map of the production and supply chain and just say, cut out the middleman. Let's take out the dead animals and algae and go straight <laughs> to the sun. I want to I wanna know the answer to Belinda's second question. That dead algae's taking our jobs, man. <laughs> <laughs> but algae will do jobs. You know the answer. Algae will do jobs. It's a weird Americans immigration policy we have against do. algae, but uh, Beli- Belinda's second question about mass scale use: Do we have the technology to run the whole city on solar power? How do you get uh, solar to to scale uh, so it doesn't just seem like some crazy uh, liberal agenda, as some might claim? 
Okay, the short answer is we're working on it. Solar infrastructure is still pretty expensive, honestly, compared to coal and oil. This is partially because solar panels are not as quite as efficient as we would like them to be yet. Um, like right now, we're sort of just j- getting as much, we're not getting as much electricity out of the amount of sun hitting solar panels as we could be. Uh, so you end up having to purchase a larger number of panels to power, say, an entire home. And the other big problem has to do with battery capacity. Um, I think everyone might remember that thing that happens every 12 hours or so called nighttime. So if our whole city is going to rely on solar power, we'd have to have a seriously amazing battery system to provide power when it's dark outside or or even when the sun is like obscured by a heavy cloud. Uh, The good news is that every year, both solar panels and the batteries that store their energy become more efficient. And they become cheaper. Slowly but surely, solar is becoming more affordable both at the household and the citywide scale. These technological advances are being made partially because citizens are voting in favor of making infrastructure changes to protect the environment, and also partially because utility companies are actually starting to face the very real consequences of using fossil fuels. You know, we we just don't have enough of it. We can't make more of it unless we have millions of years. And even when you capture it, all those fossil fuels tend to spill or leak out of some kind of crack or hole in the end. Yeah, so you may remember last summer in Los Angeles, there was that huge natural gas leak that almost caused citywide blackouts. And it's actually sort of miraculous that it didn't. So that's not good for utility companies. And it's also not good for citizens. So we need a better system. All right. So we've gotten through a lot today. And I want to get it straight. So one way to harness the power of the sun is to be a plant Mm -hmm. and to do photosynthesis. Another way is to burn dead plants and get energy from them. Well, not might, polluting the energy, polluting the air, excuse me, in the process. Third, you could capture the sun's energy with a silicon solar panel, not to be confused with silicone solar panel, and put it in a battery of some sort. Is that it? Any other way we can use the sun's power? You know, I I can't stop thinking about about how, like, if we burn dead plants, it's like we're grave robbing. (laughs) (laughs) one more reason to not use anyway okay well okay back sorry (laughs) just second level to veganism don't (laughs) what what can i eat we can't use the plants either nothing you have to eat the sun actually this is a really good time to bring up those people that just stare at the sun and don't think they have to eat i haven't done enough research to really know i mean oh yeah hang out in phoenix for a little while so jefferson you're going to be one of those people you're going to stare at the sun and hope that you don't have to eat i'm really pale but i thought you wanted to eat mac and cheese or no you wanted to mate with mac and cheese I'm getting it all straight Big now. Distinction. Jefferson Smith, the most photovoltaic and also <laughs> mac and cheese as his identity. If you missed yes. the beginning of this show, Jefferson decided that mac and cheese was going to be his soulmate. This so. is not going good for me so far. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So wait, well, back to your original question, which was, is there any other way to make use of solar power besides the ones that we've talked about? And the answer is yes. There's actually all kinds of new photovoltaic technology that is in the works right now. In the near future, I would expect to see all kinds of cool sunlight-powered energy sources that utilize all kinds of crazy different technology. So, for example, right now, MIT has developed something they call artificial leaves that basically use sunlight to break apart water molecules into their constituent parts, which are hydrogen and oxygen. So this is a pretty great way to harvest the energy-packed hydrogen gas. Basically, when a leaf, one of these artificial leaves, is dropped into a glass of water and exposed to sunlight, then oxygen gas bubbles are emitted from one side, and hydrogen gas bubbles are emitted from the opposite side and can be captured for use. So other technology uses algae's natural talent of photosynthesis, or maybe Jefferson's talent of photosynthesis. (laughs) You've got a lot going on to yourself today, Jefferson. I cannot do photosynthesis. (laughs) (laughs) I eat 
bad things sometimes instead of staring at the sun and getting skin cancer. Oh, that's... <laughs> Um, so we can use algae's natural talent of photosynthesis to turn sunlight into energy. The best part is that algae doesn't even need clean water or expensive food to survive. Algae can get its nutrients from industrial waste. How cool is that? But my favorite technology on the horizon is a nanowire bacteria hybrid cell created by a team Ooh. at UC Berkeley. I know. Doesn't it just sound fancy? That sounds cool. No, It can perform artificial photosynthesis. So when a plant performs photosynthesis, like we talked about earlier, it sucks a lot of carbon from the air in the form of carbon dioxide. And then it uses the energy of the sun to turn that carbon into sugar, which then becomes their body mass. But this Berkeley team has figured out how to do this conversion process without the plants. As we said, eliminate the middleman, right? They well, uh, that's not quite true. Actually, they they just they change the middleman <laughs> because they end up using this crazy bacteria that actually eats electrons. Okay, let me say that one more time. There is a bacteria that eats electrons. My bacteria eats electrons. Right? You know what like, I mean? what does your bacteria? <laughs> what does your bacteria do? My yeah. bacteria eats electrons, buddy. <laughs> So cool. Yeah. So, so basically the team at Berkeley, what they do is they distribute a colony of this, this bacteria through what looks like a layered cake of semiconducting nanowire sheets. So the layers are really tightly stacked, which protects the oxygen-sensitive bacteria from the air. And the nanowires, when exposed to sunlight, both produce molecules of oxygen, just like a real plant would, and generate excited electrons to feed the bacteria. So this particular species of bacteria is chosen because of, one, its ability to pull the greenhouse gas carbon dioxide right out of the air, and two, it, to use that carbon dioxide plus energy from the nanowires to synthesize useful chemicals like butanol, which is similar to gasoline. Pretty neat stuff, huh? I mean, and these are only a few of the technologies that we found when we were looking at what's being worked on. So who knows what we're going to come up with next? And this is all part of your argument to the Trump administration to keep funding science. Yeah, to everybody. <sighs> you got to keep funding education. You got to <laughs> keep funding science because we wouldn't be here. Any, well, we would, but I don't know what we'd look like. I don't know if we'd be. Because science have, happens whether we, we know about it or not. We wouldn't right. be here in this radio station probably, though, without our, our technological advances. Exactly. But you're right. Science does happen whether yeah. we like it or not. Nature happens whether we like if it or not. people have a science question, if they have a topic. Yes. Let's say I had a topic that I wanted. But let's say somebody <laughs> else. Oh, yeah. I'm sick of them. If somebody had a topic for everything is interesting, how should they tell you that they would like a topic to be covered at some point in history? Oh, good question. I think there's two ways. You could either go to our Facebook page, uh, which is facebook.com backslash the number two <laughs> science project. I think that's it, right? There's no dot com. Yeah. Yeah. And the easier way is probably uh, going straight to everythingisinteresting.org and you can email us directly from there. Yeah. Or a link to it, which is the email is the number two science project at gmail.com. And you can always email us at morning at x-ray.fm. Uh, some things that came in, if I came in, I mean, I typed them on my computer. Uh-huh. Uh, the, straight uh, from Jefferson. The, the science of Soylent. Oh, uh, the, the, okay. sci the science of the Badlands, because the Badlands are now leading the I resistance. Know the Badlands are so bad. And, bad. and maybe the science of lying. Oh. We can talk about yeah. that. Yeah. Those yeah. are a few ideas. Relevant. Just, just I wonder where you got these out. ideas from. <laughs> Everything's interesting. Kira and Kira, you guys are awesome. Thanks for having us.